Well, I mean, we are glad you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. So imagine, uh, let's take 40 years off my life, and I tell you that I am uh, part of the Husker football team. Well, you guys are looking like shocked. It's kind of like, you, you're laughing. Why? They laughed a lot harder in the first service. Why are you laughing? Well, here's why I think you're laughing. You're looking at me and saying, Andy, I mean, you just don't look the part. I mean, you're just lacking uh, some physical attributes. And then if we were to go, like, play basketball or touch football, and you saw my lack of speed, you'd think, you're really, really, really lacking here. I said, the only two things that kept me from playing Div- Division I football, only two things, lack of size and speed. That's the only thing that kept me from doing it. I sure don't look the part. There's some characteristics of a co- Division I college football player I don't have. I could make that claim, but you wonder about the legitimacy of it. Well, these last weeks we've been talking about being followers of Jesus, being part of His kingdom. And we can make that claim, but, but Jesus has given us some norms, some, some expectations, some characteristics of what it looks like to be in there. And those give us a chance to evaluate is this claim we're making, is it, is it legitimate or not? Is our faith real or not? What shows that we're a member of God's kingdom? We want to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 13, we're going to go through verse 23, asking this question, what shows that we're members of God's kingdom? Now, kind of get you up to speed, we've been spending a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, and we we started in Matthew 5, Jesus was on a hilltop, and he said, the kingdom of God is like. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule of God. And we understand that that is something we can voluntarily submit to now. There'll be a day when Jesus comes back that he sets up his kingdom, and um, there'll be no um, volunteering in it. It's, he will be setting it up for good. And, and Jesus then gave us some, um, some expectations or some norms, and he called them the Beatitudes. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit or the merciful. These are the people that are improved. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are characteristics. These are norms. Um, but Jesus said, you know, when you, when you show those characteristics, those values, you're going to be out of step with the world. And you're going to be persecuted for it. Well, Jesus, if we're going to be persecuted, why not, why not just beam us out? Because, as I alluded to in my prayer in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Salt, in Jesus' day, was a preservative. You rubbed it into meat and it slowed the decay. Church, individually and corporately, as you're in contact with the world, as we were praying with our students and others, you slow decay. And darkness is a metaphor for everything evil, everything wrong in our world. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Light comes on, darkness is dispersed immediately. Church, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Set it where it can get maximum exposure. Maximum destruction of darkness, if you will. Well, Jesus, you're speaking with a lot of authority here. Are, are you the doing away with the Old Testament? Jesus said, absolutely not. In fact, the whole Old Testament points to me. I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. And he, he kind of exemplified that. He said, let me give you six examples. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not murder. And you say, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm good. But Jesus said, you know, if you've been angry with somebody, you're guilty of murder. 
It's as if you wish they weren't there. Uh, seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never been with another woman other than my wife. But if you've looked at another woman and desired her in that way, you're guilty of adultery. And that he then went on to divorce and remarriage. Divorce had gotten very easy. And he said, look, I, I gave permission, but I want you to value marriage. Don't walk away from it lightly. Then I think Jesus targeted the, the Pharisees with this next one. They had taken the Old Testament and they'd added 640 precepts that they thought fit. And they kind of made themselves an authority. And so what they'd done with their word is, they said, you know, if, if I swear by the altar, that's 60% that I have to fulfill it. But if I swear by the gold in the altar, well, that's 80%. And, and they played this game with their word. I, I, if I swear by this, I swear by that, I, I have to, I have to most of the time. And, and Jesus said, stop, stop. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're not going to do it, don't do it. If you're going to do it, follow through. If you said you're going to do it. Then he talked about the, the right to equal distribution, retribution. You know, Moses said an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You, you take one of my teeth, I'm going to take you out. And, and so Jesus said, I, I'm changing that. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek instead of you turn the left cheek. You're giving up the right to equal retribution if you're a part of my kingdom. And then finally he said, you know, it's said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Ah, that, that ain't going to fly. Somehow they decided it was okay to hate. And Jesus said, not in my kingdom. I say for you, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Well, with these, all these norms, qualities of life, it might be easy to try and impress one another. So Jesus said, be careful. Don't live to impress others. So when you give and when you pray and when you fast, don't make a show of it. If you do that, you're a hypocrite because what you're saying is, look at me. Hey, hey, look at me. I, I, I'm really spiritual. You don't care about God. You care about impressing others. Jesus said, don't do that. And he said, in fact, I want you totally living for my kingdom and not the world. He said, you can't serve me and mammon. The, mammon's everything that the world has to offer. He says, I so want you living for me, so trusting in me that you stop worrying. Because I'll provide for you, even in things as basic as food and clothing. I want you to trust me. No worries. Ah, with that, all these norms, it'd be easy to begin to judge people. And it's kind of like, you know, I look at you, and you're not, and you're not. And, and Jesus said, be careful of having a judgmental heart. Because as you judge, so you will be judged by God. As we're going to see, Jesus doesn't call us to stop discerning and evaluating but he said, be careful that judgment is your default mode in your heart. Be careful. You are looking at the speck in your brother's eye. You may have a big log in yours. Well, we get to this and we get to all this stuff and, and we see ourselves. We see ourselves falling short. What then? And that's where Jesus talk, tells us to pray. He said, you know, your God is a good God. He says, if an earthly father wants to give his kid good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? And again, we talked about looking at this verse in context. This is not asking for a new car and a new house, but this is given in context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, I want to develop these character qualities in you. And you can't do it on your own, but if you pray, I'll do a work in you. Now, when I was in seminary, they said, you can preach the word, you can exegete, uh, interpret correctly, but if you don't bring application, it's, it's an abortion of the truth. You need to bring people to a point of decision. This is what you do. So Jesus has been teaching a while. He's going to bring us to a point of decision right here. And he's going to have us make a choice. And he's going to give us three choices, if you will. In verses 13 and 14, he's going to talk about 
two paths. You choose one or the other. Okay, then verses 15 through 20, metaphorically, he's going to talk about two trees. Which one are you drawn to? You choose one or the other. Then finally, in verses 21 through 23, he's going to talk about two different claims that people make. You choose one or the other. Can't walk a minute. It's one or the other. It's decision time based on what we've heard. So here we go with the first choice in verses 13 through 14. Here's what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Two paths. One's narrow. One's wide. Wide is the path that leads to what? Destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. That means the majority of people are on the wide path. You know what? Jesus ain't interested in the big tent. He's not interested in fusing the two paths. He's saying, based on what you've heard, listeners, you need to make a choice. There are two paths in life. That which is narrow, that leads to life, and that which is wide, that leads to destruction. Make a choice. The narrow path or the wide path. Now then, we have people in our world who say, no, no, that's not true. You know, that's too restrictive. That can't be. There's got to be more to it. Uh, Jesus would call those false prophets. And in verses 15 through 20, he's going to warn about false prophets. Kinds of trees. Here we go. Verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Uh, Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Verse 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus said there's, there's two trees. There's metaphorically for, for two kinds of prophets. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You will know these prophets, these trees, by their fruit. This is where we're calling. Yeah, Jesus warns us, don't be judgmental in heart, but we need to be discerning. The person who's teaching, claiming to speak for God, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. We need to know, are, are they speaking for God? And Jesus says the first way to do that is by their fruit. Now, this idea of false prophets wasn't new to Jesus. Before Jesus came, God had gone into covenant with his people Israel, and he had hoped to show himself through the world, but but they weren't following him, and they had their own issues with false prophets. 
Here's what it says in Jeremiah 5, verse 30. It says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. Well, what's so bad? Here we go. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on not my authority, their own authority. They're not listening to God. They're, they're calling their own stuff. And here's what's so appalling. My people who claim to follow me, they love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? We know that the end of that is destruction. So God's people have had a long history of struggling with following right teaching. They followed false prophets. Well, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he began to move the church forward through the disciples. One of those people was the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was persecuting the church. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul began to be a missionary, and he planted churches all over the Mediterranean seaboard. Well, one of those churches was Ephesus, and he planted it, and he went back to visit it. And this is recorded in Acts 20. At the end of this visit, he knows he'll never see him again. He knows he's going to be arrested, he's going to be jailed, and he's ultimately going to lose his life as a murderer. Here's what he has to say to the people. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, catch this, from your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, here's the word, for them and for you, be on the alert for us, reminding that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul said, be on the alert. For what? For false prophets. So Andy, what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is we're looking at what is the fruit of their life. And I think the, the clearest example or the most, yeah, clearest application of this is to look in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, my people are gentle. My people are merciful. My people are not showy. Do these men and women who are speaking for God, do they exemplify these characteristics? If not, we better take a step back and wonder, are they truly from God? I want to take even a step back from that and apply this principle to see some of the the discourse I'm seeing on social media from people who claim to be Christians. Some of the stuff that's being presented doesn't seem gentle. It doesn't seem merciful. It seems kind of showboaty. And I'm wondering when I see these people who are speaking for God in the way they are, are they truly speaking for God? Are they representing Him well? Because I think in our communication, and we may be arguing for a certain point, and, and then I'm not asking us to back off what we think is true, but I am asking us to consider the manner in which we communicate. Does it represent God? Is it good fruit? Does it line up with what is being taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Beyond this passage, as we think about the teaching we're listening to, and we're asking the question, is this of God or not? I would say there are three claims I would like you to consider when somebody claims to be speaking for God. One, do they claim that Jesus is the eternally existent Son of God, born of a virgin, taken on human flesh, crucified on a cross, certified dead, put in a tomb, sealed on a Friday, and then Sunday morning he comes back to life. 
Does the person who's speaking for God affirm that claim? Second, does this person who's speaking for God affirm that the Bible is God's word? Look, when Jesus was on earth, he gave authority, recognize the authority of the Old Testament prophets that we have as our current Old Testament. And he uniquely called the writers of the New Testament to write what they did. That's why we view this as the word of God, as the authoritative word of God. Does this person who's speaking for God recognize this Bible as the authoritative word of God? Third, do they affirm that Jesus Christ is the only way by which a person can come back to God? The grace that's offered through Jesus, do they affirm that exclusive claim? If they don't affirm any of those three, we need to view them as a false prophet. We need to watch them very carefully. Imagine, if you will, going to a doctor for a medical issue, and this doctor gives you medical advice and prescribes these things, and, and later on it, you find out it, it doesn't work and it worsens your condition, and you find out they, they had a, a false degree. They had a, a, a mail-order degree. They never were medically trained. They couldn't speak with medical knowledge. Well, I think you would be furious at that person, and you would want to persecute them prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Why? Because they represented themselves as a medical expert that, there's not, that they're not. How much more with a false prophet? You wouldn't want to see a doctor who was a fake doctor. So you don't want to listen to a fake prophet who really doesn't represent God. So we got choices. Two paths. The narrow path or the wide path. Jesus is bringing us to a point of decision. Two trees representing two messengers. A good tree or a bad tree? All right, here's the third choice that Jesus wants us to make, and it's between two types of claims. And as evangelicals, it make, ought to make us squirm just a little bit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So they have right doctrine, but they're not getting into heaven. Why? They're not doing his will. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So they, they cast out demons. They, they, they did miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, me, you who practice lawlessness. This person claims Jesus is Lord and he claims all the right doctrine. But his life's not measured up. You're not doing the will of my Father. Jesus said, you had the right doctrine, but it never took in your life. The evidence of me working in your heart isn't there. You didn't obey. Say, I never knew you. The other person claims Jesus, and there's evidence. To that person, Jesus said, you're truly my child. He said, we are all about right doctrine, and we need to be. We don't need to back off that, but we affirm that this belief we have needs to make a difference. It needs to bring us to a lifestyle of obedience. I'm not talking perfection, but I'm talking a growing submission and a growing evidence of the norms of the kingdom in our lives. We're gentle. We're merciful. We're hungering for righteousness. We're not interested in showing ourselves. We're not having judgment as our default mode. We're we're shedding worry because we're growing in our trust of the Lord, even in the most basic things. Are we headed in that direction? I'm not talking perfect. I'm not saying we don't have moments where we don't fail, but are we headed in that direction? Jesus says these 
are the people that are truly of my kingdom. So what shows we're members of God's faith? I'd say this. Genuine faith, or if you'll let me in parentheses, poverty of spirit, which is what faith is. I'm, I'm broken, Lord. I, I'm depending on you. Genuine faith, evidenced by obedience to kingdom norms, shows that we're members of God's kingdom. Genuine faith, a poverty of spirit, evidenced by kingdom norms, shows that we're members of God's kingdom. As we think about obedience, Jesus is serious about it. In, in Matthew 5, 48, he said, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're to be perfect. And, and you say, well, man, I can't do that. I, I, I'm with you. We all fall short. And that brings us back to that very first beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So, by way of application, have you made this decision where you have come? It's like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. Many of you said, yeah, Andy, I've there. I've professed that kind of faith. Well, then, are you growing in your obedience? Again, I'm not perfection, but is, are the norms of the kingdom becoming more and more evident in your life? Maybe some of these you look at it, yeah, Andy, I'm doing well here, but in terms of showing myself or in terms of worry or in terms of being judgmental, I, I'm not there. I'm, I'm failing. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. We're, we're all failing. But that, again, brings us back to our poverty of spirit. Oh, Lord, I need you because I know you're serious about obedience. I know you're serious about not being judgmental. I know you're serious. Would, would you, Lord, do a work that you can't do? Have we come to that point of faith? And are we continuing as people who are, in a poverty of spirit, dependent on God to do a work that we might fit with his kingdom norms. So let me go back to my, my Husker example. You guys kind of sniff me out. It's like, yeah, Andy, you don't, you don't measure up. But, but I said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get with us, a trainer. And I'm going to start lifting. And like I, right now, I'm bench pressing 60 pounds. I'm going to triple that. I'm going to get that up to 180. And then I'm going to get a nutritionist, and I'm going to be eating. I'm going to be eating all the right stuff. And I'm going to get a speed coach. Usually they measure the 40-yard dash. And right now I'd be somewhere over six seconds in a 40-yard dash. The the college football players run about a 4.4 or 4.5 or whatever. And I'm going to bring my speed down to like a 5.8, from a 6.4 to a 5.8. You know what you'd say to me? You know, Andy, I appreciate your heart. But it's just not in your genes. Dude, the DNA for you to be a Division I college football player, you just don't have it. You can work and work and work as hard as you want, but you can eat all the lean chicken and broccoli, and you can meet with the speed coach, and you can lift the weights, and you can do the protein shakes, but, but you're not going to make it. You know, when it comes to meeting the kingdom norms, we're a little bit like Andy trying to make the football team. It's just not there. We don't have it. It's not in our DNA. But where our example differs is, I have no recourse. I just don't have it. We do have a recourse. Even though it's not there, Jesus can do a work in our heart and our soul that we can't do ourselves. Would we be calling on him? Would we be living in dependence on him? 
to bring us to these kingdom norms. See, genuine faith, poverty of spirit, evidenced by obedience to kingdom norms shows that we're a member of God's kingdom. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this. Uh, Thanks for your word that uh, you remind us that you call us to a poverty of spirit and you're serious about us obeying you. Pray in Christ's name, amen. Mention one thing on my sermon. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to be starting the book of Revelation. Uh, there, the Bible Project has put out two videos, Revelation 1 to 11 and then 12 to 22, uh, that give an overview of the book of Revelation. I would love to have you watch that. We'll be starting that in two weeks. It'll be linked on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, I encourage you to do that, that we can be thinking through the book of Revelation together. So again, two weeks from today, I'll be starting that. I invite you to look at those videos. If you can't find them, you can find them on our Facebook page.